I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast. My name is Tally Rye and how are you doing? It is such a weird start to 2021, especially if you're in the UK. I really hope this podcast is helping keeping you company on your walks, on your workouts, or just helping you take your mind off things and giving you a boost as we try and start a new year, um, but in pretty difficult circumstances. I really think you are going to love today's guest because you may have heard Lindsay and Lexi Kite come on in May last year, um, very early on um, in this podcast's history. And I wanted to invite Lexi back on today to discuss uh, their new book, More Than a Body. And you may be familiar with their work. They're known as Beauty Redefined, the nonprofit they created that is all about helping women to build body image resilience and to find a real solution to this body image problem that so many of us feel and battle with and struggle with and truly this work has been life-changing for me and I so so recommend not only this episode but I really do recommend the book I wish I was on some sort of commission I'm not I'm just such a huge fan of the work and I'm so excited to have them back on the podcast so another returning guest this week but before we get into the episode let's find out who is this week's train happy trooper cue the music So this week's train happy moment comes from Rachel in Northern Ireland. She says, my train happy moment is deciding to stop tracking my runs, training and steps on my sports watch. After spending all of my uni days rowing, a heavy focus on fitness and diet became my norm. I don't regret the time I spent training. The sport and friends I made have had a great influence on who I am today. However, I found I took some unhealthy habits in relation to exercise and diet. I became very focused on maintaining my weight and staying as fit as when I was rowing. But now I'm choosing to focus on training because I enjoy it and how it is especially good for my mental health. Thanks for pointing out these issues, Tally. It is definitely helping me make some positive changes. Rachel, thank you so much for emailing that in and sharing that with us. And I hope that has encouraged some of you listening to maybe take take a step towards being a bit more intuitive this year. If you would like to share your train happy moment with us, then please do email in to trainhappypodcast at gmail.com. That should be in the info for this podcast for you as well. And please do send in your questions to the same address as we will try and get to them in the Q&A episodes. So thank you so much, Rachel, for sending that in. Okay, enough of me. Let's hear from this week's guest, Lexi Kite. Lexi, welcome back to the Train Happy podcast. Um, we were chatting before, but you, um, so last week we had Laura Thomas, who was our first repeat guest, but we're bringing you back 
um, mm-hmm. alone this time because usually you're with your twin sister. Yeah. But I'm bringing you back alone to talk to you about all things body image and because you've written a book. Oh, we wrote a book <laughs> and it's out finally. <laughs> it's out. We just, we like briefly discussed it in our, um, you know, in our podcast last last time you were on. Yeah. Um, but since then, that was in May 2020. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's now January. How's your year been? Oh my gosh, it's been great. I mean, it's been like, well, we have lived through a global pandemic, you know, which just has not been thing. great. But in terms of the book, like all of this time has just been waiting for December 29th, 2020 for our book's birthday. And so the waiting was slow. It seemed like it took forever, especially being, you know, in lockdown, in quarantine. Mm-hmm. And then December 29th, it hit and things have been busy since then. And it's been wonderful. And people have already been so kind about the book. It's been really exciting. I have had the opportunity to have a preview of the book and it is just brilliant. And we're we're gonna try and get into like a few of the bits. I mean, there was so much, there's so much content in the book that is so valuable from so many different perspectives on the body image conversation. But I really want to just pick out a few bits. But mm-hmm. I mean, we'll have to get you back for a third time to talk about it again because there's so much more to talk totally. about. Lindsay <laughs> um, can come. <laughs> but I'm curious did did the did 2020 influence any of the work that you uh, any of the content of the book? Did you kind of did that impact in edits? Maybe like little bits you wanted to add in or or highlight anything? Not really. I mean. N- surprisingly not really I feel like um we wrote this in I wrote it while pregnant and my baby is now one so and previous you know it's been a couple of years in the making but we didn't actually have to edit much for in terms of content that was influenced by 2020 I think that the timing of the book at first we thought oh gosh, we're trying to sell a book during a pandemic. We can't do the book tour we wanted to do. And it was such a letdown, you know, but it turns out that it kind of feels like the timing was perfect because people have a little bit more time to sit down and read, you know, or listen to an audio book on a drive or doing their chores or whatever. Um, so it's actually worked out pretty well. I don't know what it would look like outside of a pandemic, but it feels like the right time for more than a body. And I think because body image has taken such a hit during this year, this during 2020, and, you know, even as we start 2021, body image stuff has been coming up for people, you know, more, even more so. And so I would say that it's brilliant timing in the sense that this really helps us unpack that um, in a way that no other body image book has done before. Oh, thank um, you. And that's because your brand of body image work is very different from the kind of, you know, just love yourself mm-hmm. message and, you know, the idea that, um, you know, all bodies are beautiful. Um, it's different because yeah. it really makes us question um, how we're viewing ourselves. And I really want to get into that. So... Firstly, I want to know just a bit of background to More Than a Body, the title of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you want to write the book? Who was it for? And, you know, what inspired 
the different threads weaved throughout? Beautiful question. Um, you know, we didn't necessarily want to write the book. <laughs> After we finished our PhDs clear back in 2013, we wrote these big, long dissertations, and we were encouraged by the faculty at our university to publish excerpts of it. Both of us were just exhausted at the thought of trying to publish anything. And so we didn't. We'd continued our, you know, through Beauty Redefined, we continued everything on social media um, and our online course and speaking events. But writing a book just sounded like the most daunting task in the world. And it was really daunting. Thankfully, I'm glad we did it. We were approached by an agent who was a fan of our work, a literary agent. And she said, this, your work needs to get out into the world. She described kind of like what you did, that our work is, is different. Um, it's research backed and different than a lot of the um, body image activism you see out there. And so she convinced us to write a proposal, to pitch it to publishers, and that was more than two years ago, almost two and a half years ago. So it's been in the works for a long time. You know, Lindsay and I have been doing this work through our nonprofit for more than 10 years, and it, the time has flown by. Um, but we have always felt this drive, like this, it's been very internal to us that we have this work to do. And it it seems kind of bizarre. Lindsay and I talk about it like, sure, we're motivated. You know, I think we might be hard workers. I don't know. But this work to to help people see themselves as more than bodies and and to cultivate this body image resilience we talk about, this ability to see your pain and name it, see the objectification and dehumanization that surrounds you and then use it to be more that is something that we feel so passionate about. It almost feels external to us. It feels like somebody is shoving us down this pathway. I know that sounds weird to say, but like every door has just flown open to help us get to where we are. And the positive feedback from people um, who, have, who have taken our work to heart over the years has really driven us. It has been, you know, it's hard to be a woman on the internet. <laughs> it's hard to be a feminist on the internet. It's hard to talk about body image as a woman with a body, you know, and yet, um, despite some of the backlash we've gotten and will surely continue to get the positive feedback from girls and women who have desperately needed our message has been the fuel that we need so badly. We feel like, um, our work has resonated with people because it is different. And when I say it's, it's different, what I mean by that is that a lot of the popular body image fixes out there and a lot of the popular messages around how to love your body still center on beauty. Mm. They still center on attractiveness, that your flaws are beautiful, that if you knew how beautiful you were, you wouldn't have to change a thing. You just get out there. You know, they talk about expanding these ideas of what beautiful can be. And that's great. Like it's great to be able to look to social media and see a greater representation of beauty and bodies and people that we aren't seeing in mainstream media. Like that is good. That's an amazing step. We will always fight for more diversity, for more representation. But what we're seeing happen, especially in like a very visually centered medium like Instagram or Snapchat, or, you know, every TikTok, oh my gosh, very mm -hmm. body centric mediums, is that we're getting stuck at keeping women's focus on their bodies. 
the very thing that we are trying to take their focus away from. Because our research shows that you're really just slapping a band-aid on a festering wound if you are telling a population of girls and women that are that are hurting, that are feeling so defined by their bodies, that are feeling so much shame about their bodies that don't meet ideals, you're just slapping a band-aid on it if you're telling them, but you're beautiful. You should see how beautiful you are. Like that is great, but it is it is not getting to the root of the problem. Because the root of the problem is that women are their bodies that that is the message we are being told. This objectifying, dehumanizing problem. And our research shows that the way out is not just to expand the definition of who gets to be seen as beautiful. It is to knock beauty off the pedestal that we don't require of men completely. Mm-hmm. It is to be able to show people that that idea that beauty is the pedestal that we must all seek for is hurting everyone. It is keeping us from living fulfilled, happy, purposeful lives. And that when we can knock beauty off that pedestal and recognize that you're beautiful, but you are more than beautiful, you have work to do and use body image resilience to get there, to use your pain to be more, that is a game changer. And we had to write a whole book to talk about it because little squares on Instagram could never do it. You know, like Mm. for a long time, we've been talking about what people refer to as body neutrality, that positive body image is believing your body is good regardless of what it looks like. And that's kind of the message we've really driven and in many ways pioneered in social media. Um, but it it's harder to talk about the bigger perspective of body image resilience in these little squares and in these little caps and tweets. Um, so the book was the place to really dig in. And it's it's a lot. And you say, you know, there are lots of girls and women and that's, you know, who the book's targeted towards and you do address, um, you know, you know, people who are male or those who identify with different yes. genders and in the book as well, you, you're very clear with that, that, you know, actually all people may benefit from understanding this, but that yes. you specifically speak to the, the um, kind of the female, female identifying. Um, because that's where the research is that you have and you um, are kind of like you said, you know, that's what we know and we don't want to speak about things we don't really know. Yeah, Um, yeah. So I think that's uh, really important to state, but also to say that I am certainly one of the people that have massively benefited from your work and I've just found you online. I've watched your TED Talks. I've, you know, consumed as much of your blog posts and things. I found it so beneficial and really pivotal in terms of how I now am able to kind of get to the next phase yeah. of the body image work because it's like Ugh. as you say just knowing that knowing that people everybody is beautiful you know all of this this talk gets you to like I think help you take a step forward yes but to truly really make leaps and bounds forward getting to this point of understanding the idea that you are more than a body, that you have more to give than your appearance, that who you are um, is far more worth investing in than the exterior shell. That's huge. And I think that's where I really want to take this podcast today is kind of breaking down some of those ideas. And I want to start with the idea of objectification Mm -hmm. because it's like feels like a big theory it can feel Mm -hmm. a little bit like academic and um yeah a bit intimidating 
let's break so it down. <laughs> can you explain to us what objectification is? And then maybe we can move into self-objectification. Yes. Okay. So this is huge. This is the foundation is of all of our work. <laughs> it is. It takes up, you know, chapters of our book. And seeing it, being able to really know what objectification is and the role it plays in our whole world, and then how self-objectification takes place in your own mind, is life-changing. So in our book, I don't want to give too much away because I hope <laughs> you guys will you know, buy the book. I really do. I, I feel like it's the kind of thing that we want to be almost a spiritual venture. Like we want you to read and reread and highlight parts and go back at different points in your life to find out what stands out to you then, you know, that's what we desperately want. And like, we're not going to make any money from this book, probably. <laughs> like, it's just uh, books don't make a lot of money. But what we mm -hmm. want is for people to get this, to really understand. So I would love to share some of this. Um, the metaphor we use in the book is the sea of objectification, the waters of objectification, um, to explain how objectification is everywhere. It is everywhere to the point that it is invisible and hard to recognize. The root word here is object. Um, objectification is any message or idea. Um, it's how we talk that, um, that slowly chips away at the idea that women are fully human. It treats us as objects, as parts, as parts in need of fixing, to be looked at, to be evaluated, to be used, to be consumed to be tossed aside when we don't fit the ideals or when we've already been consumed. Objectification is when you're driving down the freeway and you see billboard after billboard of parts of women's bodies saying, get liposuction on your lunch break, you know, fix your boobs and, and you'll be back to work over the, you know, on Monday, like this stuff is everywhere. Objectification happens when the camera tilts up and down the woman's body, zooms in on her parts in your favorite TV shows, which happens consistently. It happens in the B-roll of the reality TV shows we all love, where it's all just women's bodies. It's women walking from behind. It's women getting out of the pool. It's, you know, it's all bodies. It happens in the dialogue of kids' cartoons, of, um, of every TV show, of music, when we're talking about women as consumable parts. It's everywhere. It happens in our own dialogue when we say things like, can you even imagine wearing that? She's all butt. She's all boobs. Can you believe what she did to her face? It happens constantly. So I hope you, you get the perspective, the picture that this is everywhere. Objectification abounds on social media, you know, as mm -hmm. you can imagine. It is everything. It is the water. Um, it's the air we breathe. It's the water we swim in. When you grow up in a world that objectifies you from every conceivable angle as just a normal part of being a girl, a normal part of being a woman, you get invited into this sea of objectification. You get invited when you're little and you hear other kids talking about your body, calling you a skinny beanpole or a fat pig. You hear it when um, your mom talks about her body or says, I shouldn't eat that. You know, I, I have to cut out sugar. I'm just, I'm just getting so disgusting. It invites you into the water where after a while, as you keep creeping into the water, you know this when you swim, suddenly the water feels more comfortable than the beach. You know, mm -hmm. it feels like, oh, how could I get back outside? It's cold out there. It's windy out there. It's much more comfortable here. I'll just tread water for a while. And so we tread water by consistently thinking about our bodies and, and fixing our bodies and seeing ourselves from the outside. That is self-objectification. 
the idea that you live your life and you live picturing yourself from the outside. You monitor your body and your looks from every conceivable angle, even when you're all alone. You know, you might be in a Zoom meeting, but instead of thinking about what that person is saying, you're looking at yourself in the video, trying to make sure that you look okay in case anybody else is looking. You're looking down at your own legs that nobody else can see, and you're crossing your legs to be in the right angle for you. You are making sure that you're, you know, that everything's pulled up right the way you looked in the mirror because you're worried that somebody might see you and think your worst nightmares. And nobody's really thinking those things, you know? We live our lives to be looked at. And research shows and personal experience shows that most girls and women live in this state of self-objectification throughout their lives. Um, it's heightened at specific times. Social media makes it much worse. But most of us experience this split in our identities when we're very young, like even before puberty, where we are at once you know, playing on the sand, if you're thinking of the metaphor, we're playing on the sand, we're not thinking about what we're wearing or how we look, you know, we're in our swimsuits and didn't even think twice about what swimsuit to wear, or that the sunscreen smeared all over our face. And then as you start to be conscious of the fact that people are looking at you, that you are here to be seen from every message in the whole world, then all of a sudden you split. And part of your identity, you leave your embodied whole self, and you creep out into the water to live the rest of your life treading water in the most uncomfortable way that you don't know any other way. Um, and that is what we want people to see before they can actually get to that body image resilience. You have to see how uncomfortable you are in a comfort zone you thought was just the only thing you could ever live in. Yes, you feel that you should constantly be treading water as you say that otherwise you're going to drown. Otherwise, you know, maybe... If I'm going with the metaphor, yeah. that treading water is partly the way we conform to the yes. beauty standards and the body standards that we feel that we need to in order to literally not drown. Yes. Because if, you know, we have to keep our head afloat by making sure that we're um, doing the, you know, the anti-aging skincare and we're mm -hmm. getting our hair done and we have to make sure our nails are always done and yes. we must wear the most flattering outfits, et cetera, et cetera. That yes. if we don't do those, we sink. And am I right in saying in the book, you refer to it and I'm, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna get it right, but you can correct me. Yeah. Um, I think it's like the sinking shame. Yeah, or, sinking into shame. Yes. Yes. Sinking into shame is something, what we talk about in the book is that every single one of us respond to what we call body image disruptions, like things that shake you out of your comfort zone, um, that suddenly remind you that you're in the water, treading water. It's things like somebody making a comment about your body. You have a friend that loses a bunch of weight and is, and is suddenly getting a lot of compliments. You're comparing yourself to what you see on social media, a ton of before and afters, a ton of body-centric content, and suddenly you feel... It happens constantly, you know, in big mm. and small ways. The big ways are like sexual assault, abuse, a divorce, a breakup, having a baby, an illness, an injury. There's a million ways that you get shaken and your, your body image gets just shaken. Your relationship with your body, suddenly you 
feel more uncomfortable than you did before. These are called body image disruptions. And we all respond to those disruptions. We respond to those disruptions in one of three ways. And one of the most common ways is by sinking into shame. And we do that by coping in ways that are harmful, that don't actually serve us. But so many of us are just doing our best to not sink, that we are self-harming. Young women cut themselves and hurt themselves in massive numbers today, more than ever. A lot of times due to the shame they feel about their bodies, the pain they feel. Um, we are abusing diet pills and drugs, both prescription and illegal. We are doing these things to numb our pain. We are sinking into disordered eating, disordered exercise routines, because we are desperate to numb ourselves from the pain we feel. Um, the other way, uh, probably the most common way most all of us respond to disruptions is by clinging to our comfort zone. We cling by treading water. We cling by staying in a deeply uncomfortable and dangerous life raft while the sharks of self-objectification and shame are swimming around us by doing what you say, by monitoring ourselves and evaluating ourselves from the outside 24-7. We do that by feeling like we have to maintain our looks and always be progressing, you know? Mm -hmm. We picture a future version of ourselves that is thinner, that is more beautiful, that is more muscular, that is more toned, you know, whatever the thing might be, um, because we just can't imagine that how we are right now is okay, is acceptable. Um, and we want people to see that their comfort zone it might be a little bit more uncomfortable than they realize because we believe that everybody in this world deserves to thrive, you know, not just survive, not just do what we can to maintain these unrealistic and strict and dehumanizing standards of beauty and normalcy. We want people to know that they can be more, but it takes seeing their pain. It mm -hmm. takes recognizing it. I remember this past year, you know, having some like body image wobbles that I was un was not expecting yeah because I was like well I thought I'd done all that I thought you know and I totally. shared this on I shared this on social media I said I've written a book about this I thought I'd overcome this yep but and I remember sharing this and I remember um you commenting that you know that was your disruptor that was yep. a that was one of those things when this pandemic, and I think this is, you know, and the upheaval or the kind of change of pace of life and the, the obstacles it's brought us mm -hmm. have been a collective disruptor. Um, and then yeah. depending on your own individual situation, there could be other events happening, whether that be, you know, a loved one is sick, ill, passed away, you know, there's... Yeah there's so many different variables there but we're all kind of therefore leaning on these these coping mechanisms yes. that don't serve us like yes. you mentioned the self-harm the stats you shared in the book I couldn't believe I was just mm -hmm. it was really sad um and the way that we turn to our body image the way that if we're like but if I just ch lose weight if I just change yep. what I look like if I just you know put some fake tan on that yep. will fit that will fix this issue because the issue is just how I look um yeah and I want to quote a little bit 
you wrote, and this is on page 24, and I think this is highlighted, but oh, I loved it so much. And this is, <laughs> this is the message that I'm really trying to get across on this podcast. And we spoke about it with Laura Thomas last week. It's when we keep attempting to fix an internal mental problem with outside physical solutions, those quick fixes will never really solve our problems. Yep. That yeah. nails it. That's just it. That is, that's so it that we keep like trying to do the same thing, but in slightly different ways, hoping for a different outcome. Yes. And we Chasing never get mirages. the outcome. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's fine. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're a thousand percent right. And it is no wonder that we're all chasing these physical changes in order to fix a mental problem. Like, it's not like any of us are dumb. We have collectively been brainwashed. This is a multi-billion dollar industry that world markets thrive on, making sure that girls and women and all people, but especially female identifying ones, are so defined by and consumed by the look of their bodies that we get onto nothing else. I cannot emphasize enough that us as individuals believing that our problems are our own, that if we just had enough self-control to eat less and to work out more and to buy the right products and to not sleep on the side of our face because we're getting wrinkles and not be so expressive and blah, blah, blah. We all think this. We think that this is an individual problem. It is not. This is collective brainwashing. We are being held back. What is the world missing? Because every one of us believe that we have this unique shame that we need mm. to fix. No. Oh my goodness. I, you are not wrong for having body image disruptions. You know, you are not wrong for being an expert in this work and still feeling so caught off guard by, you know, weight gain and aging and all the things that come with just being a human. You're not wrong. This is, this is a collective problem and we need collective solutions. Mm. And that solution is to give women their freaking humanity back. I can't say it enough. That's what we're trying to do with this idea of being more than a body is to help women get their humanity back. You are more than a body. You are more than a collection of parts. You are more than somebody who needs to be sexually desirable to the stranger that walks past you on the street, to the person driving the bus, to the commenters on Instagram, to think that we all feel so enslaved to this notion of desirability, you know, mm. when I just, I want, and what we talk about so much in the book is for people to recognize that if you continuously chase these mirages on the sea of objectification, you will never reach them. You will never be as happy, as fulfilled as purposeful. You will never get those endorphins you are searching for or the love you are searching for from yourself or anybody else if you are stuck being consumed by and defined by your body. I I can tell you from personal experience um, that I am, I'm definitely fatter than I've ever been. I'm older than I've ever been. I'm happier than I've ever been. My body didn't earn me love. My body didn't earn me my expertise, my body. Yes, sure. I, I, as we acknowledge in the book, I definitely have privilege in this world. I'm able-bodied. I'm heterosexual. I'm white. You know, I um, came from a middle-class background. I'm educated. I have a ton of privilege. But I can tell you from my own personal experience that fixing the outsides of my body never fixed a thing for me. But focusing my work internally 
as a body image expert that is still doing this work and that will always do this work. Um, I will not be ashamed by the body shame I have because that is a part of being human. The mm -hmm. self-objectification that splits me from myself every day, I will not be ashamed of, but I will recognize it. I will come back to myself. I have the tools to do that. And what we want is for every single person to get those tools that we share in the book to come back home to yourself. The only home you've ever had. You have so much more to do, so much more to feel and experience and be outside those confines of feeling so um, defined by how you appear. Because it is January and I think a lot of people are listening and they're in this kind of, and I, I know the Train Happy podcast listeners, we're kind of on board with this, but we're also yeah. torn yeah. because it's like, but I want to fully just embrace this message. I want yeah. to let go of the constraints of the beauty ideals. I want to just be me, but it's so hard because it's so hard. at the same time I'm told that, you know, if I don't look a certain way, I won't be lovable. I won't, you know, be able to have meaningful connection with people. I won't be able to get the job I want. I won't be able to have all these things. And so it's, it's hard because you feel like you're, you know, you're straddling these two worlds where you're like, you are. I just want to keep one toe dipped in just to, just to feel safe in the comfort zone, right? Because this is extremely uncomfortable. Yep. Do you know so, what we say to that? Tell me. Prove yourself wrong. Mm. Prove yourself wrong again and again. We write about this in the book. Lindsay shares a really powerful example of how she's currently proving herself wrong. I won't share it because it's hers and it's in the book. But I want you to seriously consider that the ways you have lived in your head, believing all of these messages that you've consumed from a billion places, it is not serving you. You can live your life as you are right now, even if you think you're fatter than you should be, even if you think you're older looking than you should be, or too skinny, or your boobs are saggy or too small, or whatever the thing is. I promise you that you can prove your worst fears wrong that you have been told. You can just live. I say I'm, I'm fatter and older than I've ever been and happier than I've ever been to show you just my own personal example that I've proved myself wrong. You know, if you had told me 10 years ago, uh, if you had, if you told Lexi 10 years ago, 25 year old Lexi, who had, who was like halfway through her PhD, you know, and thought I was very evolved. If you had told me how much I weighed, you know, 10 years later, if you just, somebody dropped me that number, I would have thought, oh shoot, I wonder if there's a problem. I hope she's working on that. Like, I wonder if she like is in a happy relationship. I wonder what he feels about, that. you know, you think all these things, how could you not? And yet I am sitting here and can attest to the fact that my relationship is better than ever. It is wonderful. My relationships with, that's my, my husband, my relationship with my husband, my relationships with people in my life are as great as ever because it has nothing to do with how I appear. My work in body image is better than ever because people aren't coming to me because they love my body or even want to see my body at all. None of that matters. I, I want people to know that you can prove yourself wrong in little and big ways. Start with like your eyebrows or your eyelashes. You know, if you feel really defined by having beautiful thick eyelashes and you wear extensions or mascara or tint them or whatever the thing is, prove yourself wrong by going out without mascara 
or without your lashes. And sure, maybe somebody will say like, are you feeling okay? And you can take it as kind of a funny opportunity to be like, yeah, this is just me. You're just not used to seeing women without eyelashes. I know it's wild and just make it funny, you know? But prove to yourself that you're okay. I have had this with fake tan. And oh, I yeah. think I mentioned this in the last conversation, um, but this is something I, I, I don't use. And it's not like I'm like strictly never, ever again. It's not like I'm a really <laughs> yeah. strong stance in it, but I think a lot of it was definitely a prove myself wrong attitude of, okay, let's see what happens when I don't use this and I can turn up and I don't need it. And you know what? Um, I don't know. I just feel less and less inclined. I don't know, I just feel less and less inclined to use it. And I don't really yeah. think about it that much. I don't really think, oh no, my legs are pale. I can't wear this dress in the summer. Yeah. I can't wear this. I just wear it anyway because I just got used to what I look like. And I think for me, it was kind of going, people are pale. Right? That's <laughs> normal. Like, that's fine. And who cares? Yeah, and, and you have to and, like rebel. Yeah, it's like, it's the rebellion stuff because it's the same when we're talking about diet culture and we're talking mm -hmm. about, I speak about this with movement. I say, you know, when you are stuck in like whether you need to be intensely exercising and a rest day feels like a massive challenge, take yeah. the rest day and, and realize that nothing happens. Yes. <laughs> you know, every, it's fine. And I think it's the exact same. It's so transferable to this work as well of like, okay, I can turn up with no makeup on and it's okay. And I would love to discuss this in the sense of you know I often will post on social media and I don't really think about it now really if I've got no makeup on because that's the vast majority of the time yeah I'm gonna turn up on Instagram stories I'm gonna post a picture of myself that's not that's not a big deal but yeah. I still do also like to wear makeup sometimes and mm -hmm. you know at Christmas it was really nice to get dressed up for Christmas day yeah we, and I think I think this is where some I think this is where maybe the confusion comes that when people are listening to this, they're like, oh, so I'm never allowed to wear eyelashes. I'm never allowed to do my nails. I'm never allowed to wear fake tan. Totally. Is there a bit more nuance to this than we're giving it? Oh, great question. Yes, times a million. <laughs> I mean, even in the introduction of the book, we say it is okay and normal and great to want to be validated for your attractiveness, to want to be seen as beautiful. That is a very human quality and totally fine. No shame. We're all there. I'm there. You know, right now I'm wearing mascara. I lined my eyebrows. Like these are all things, you know, that we do. What we write about in the book is that we really want people to take an inventory of the work, they, the beauty work they are doing. They're, mm. you know, what they are doing to perform their femininity, their desirability, to perform them, you know, and to consider what of it they might be doing purely out of shame. Like shame is driving it because makeup and fashion. I love, I mean, I'm not like a fashionista by any means, <laughs> but I, I haven't been able to wear cute clothes in like a year. Cause I haven't gone out, you know, so I'm, was, in sweats, yeah. you know? <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in a hoodie right now. This is, yeah, this totally. is my uniform. <laughs> I've got sweats on and a workout <laughs> shirt. So yes, I totally get it. And I miss that stuff. And the truth is that there is room for all sorts of beauty and creative expression and for spending money on these things. But I want everybody to take an inventory for themselves. If it's driven by shame, it might not be serving you. Mm. Like if, think about the fact that if you were to, if there was like a fire in your house and you had to run out, would you just 
die if you didn't have something, you know, whatever the thing might be to make you feel like you. Maybe it's time and it would be in your best interest to start practicing not having that thing sometimes, even just for small periods of time. Um, and obviously the same goes with dieting and with everything else. Just practice what it might be like to not have to have that thing. I think that the pandemic has given us a great opportunity to practice. I definitely have been practicing. What does it look like to still be me without some of the things I thought absolutely made me me? Um, so I would highly recommend that. I think that's a really accessible place to start as well in terms of, you know, trying to, you know, start to challenge these ideas and and kind of feel like you're more than a body, as, as we're saying. Um, yeah. I love the quote that you say and I say this all the time and I'm always kind of quoting you guys on social media when I'm talking about this and on the podcast is when you say um you know we need to know our body I think the emphasis I'm gonna really misquote you here but you're fine it's knowing your body oh, is yeah. good mm-hmm. maybe you can say it with the, the correct quote because my brain is not putting it all no, the words in the right I know I always get it wrong too. It's positive body image isn't believing your body looks good. It's knowing your body is good regardless of how it looks. How do we know our body is good? That's a great question too. It's hard. It's hard to know your body is good in a world that is begging you to believe otherwise. And in a body that maybe isn't always treating you that good. You know, we're all dealing with stuff. So many of us are dealing with chronic illness or injuries, with just, you know, sickness that happens all the time, with disability. So many of us, most of us, all of us. And so it's, it's easy to think, you know, to hear our mantra, your body is an instrument, not an ornament, and think, huh, it's a pretty crappy instrument, you know, to think, yeah, well, maybe if my instrument worked a little bit better, I could believe that, you know, you think, well, maybe if I didn't have this disability or this injury or this illness. But the truth is that your body is good because your body is yours. Like if you look down at your body right now, think about the fact that this body you were born into, like this body, this skin, these organs, this fat, I mean, sure you've grown and changed, but this you is the little you. The you that used to be on the beach, not worrying, you know, mm. before you were doubled and disembodied and split from yourself, you were that little you. And the way to know and believe your body is good is to talk to you like your little you, because she's still there. And that little you, you know that she's going to grow up to feel and believe and hear a lot of awful objectifying things about herself but what would you actually tell her and that is a practice it's inner child work in therapy we write about it all in the book Lindsay wrote a letter to herself she shares in the book that is a practice that can help you realize that you are good because you have always been good your body has gotten you through a lot through everything I want you to write to yourself to that little you and think about you know, tell her everything she's going to go through. Tell her what you wish you'd been told when you were little, that it's okay to eat that food, you know, that it's okay to be, have bigger thighs than your friends or to be 
much shorter than all your friends or have that red hair or whatever the thing is that you were self-conscious of. And that work can help you kind of more holistically understand that you are good and that you are important. The other thing I want, I want people to understand and recognize from the book is that when you can find purpose outside of how you appear, which can be hard to do in a world that doesn't give women as much power as it gives men, you know, less opportunities for leadership, less opportunities to, to be heard. You know, it's true. Women are given less power than men in this world. And so we try to search for it with scraps of power that often come from our bodies that come from our sexual appeal. We try to earn that power back. But the thing is, you are already powerful outside of your body. We all have such important things to be doing. And that when you can find your purpose outside of that body, you get this rush, this mission that can help propel you as it has me, as it has you, Mm -hmm. through really hard disruptions to our body image that can help us even see the hard things we go through as opportunities to use our voices, you know, as opportunities to serve more people. I've said before, I'll say a million times, I'm so grateful for the body shame I grew up with and that I've experienced. I'm grateful for those stupid diets I started when I was 13 years old and write about in my journal that I shared in the book. I'm grateful for that really sad shame I felt for so long because that shame, it opened my eyes to the work I now do with Lindsay. It pushed us down a path that I never would have chosen for myself, but that I am so grateful I'm doing because it is really fulfilling and it's saving me. You know, it's saving my body image, my relationship with my body. It's saving my daughters. I have a one-year-old and a four-year-old daughter that they are already, I can see, they are just going to be the most amazing proponents of this work. Logan, my four-year-old, knows her body is an instrument, not an ornament. When we're watching TV, she says, why don't they give the boys eyelashes? Because she recognizes that the girls are always decorative in kids' shows. They always have to have extra because girls are other. You know, they have to be decorative. It's eyelashes. It's bows. It's curves. It's all the things that make female more. It You have to do more work. And Logan recognizes that and kind of bucks up against it. She thinks the boy should have eyelashes too. (laughs) That's a little thing, but we all have so much work to do in this world. We can be saving the people around us, pulling people back to shore. We all have that responsibility. I feel that so much in the sense of, you know, wanting to share this work, get this message as far, you know, spread it as far and wide as possible, as well as the people in your own life that you can feel like you have a actual interaction with, that you can be that person for them that provides like another option. Because I think so many people don't know that there is just another way of doing this as another way of thinking. You don't have to, you don't have to just follow the pack. You can do your, do it your own way, which. um, So true. Yeah. I wanted to pick up on, well, there was two things, but I want to rewind a little bit to what you were saying about this idea of empowerment, because I wanted to talk about social media Mm -hmm. and the way that a lot of this body-centric content online, like Mm -hmm. we said, we know it's the most popular. I know that if I were to post an image on social media, if I'm in swimsuit or a bikini Mm -hmm. I know 
guaranteed that that will get so much more interaction than a a graphic I post, say, or Mm -hmm. just a a post of me, you know, where you can't really see any flesh. Um, I don't know if it's because we've grown up in an objectifying world where we're constantly trying to see as much of people as possible that we're drawn to this body-centric content. Mm -hmm. Even within body positivity and those types of spaces, we're drawn to even like the pictures of the cellulite, the pictures of the tummy rolls. Yeah. You know, even that, that those imagery that's challenging maybe our beauty ideals and our body ideals. We're still drawn yeah. to that body centric content. Um, and I want to know, is that still helpful? Is that still keeping us, we might be objectifying in a different way, but are we still a objectifying? And then the second part of my question, which links to what you said before about this idea that a lot of people post that imagery because it feels empowering, because mm-hmm. it's it feels like a sense of reclaiming your body and putting it out there how you choose to do that. And you may choose to do that in some super cute lingerie and, yeah. you know, put a thirst trap mm-hmm. online and that's how you choose to share that. So I want to know, is that still keeping us in that self-objectification mode or, or is it empowering at times and good question yeah, so there's there's kind of two parts to that question and I know it was a, like a big topic but I'd love to kind of get into the debate of it all yeah absolutely we have definitely gotten in on this debate I think we might have started it on Instagram in late 2015 and it was not good um no it was fine it's just we don't like um conflict oh gosh that is it. so stressful yeah um I will first say that you do you. Anybody can post anything they want online. Truly. If your goal is to help people free themselves from self-objectification and help women um, get their humanity back, you might make some different choices with what you post on social media. I think there is great value and progress in seeing a greater diversity of bodies represented on social media. Absolutely. Times a million. I love being able to see people that look like me on social media Mm -hmm. because I had growing up, that would have been amazing. You know, I, I had never seen anybody that had thighs that looked like mine, you know, or cellulite that looked like mine represented anywhere in other media, you know, in mainstream media. So yes, there is value in that. But I want you to consider even for the influencers out there, I want you to consider that while really body-centric content gets the most engagement, is it serving you? I'll talk to the influencers and to just the, well, to anybody. If you are posting, you know, your, your stretch marks, if you're posting your roles, if you're posting, you know, these ways of saying like, basically like F you to traditional beauty ideals and saying, I'm here to expand those definitions or blow them out of the water, whatever. If you're representing yourself on social media with body centric content, ask yourself if it's serving you. Like maybe it is, like maybe it is helping you reclaim your body as your own. Maybe it's helping other people, but ask yourself if it's serving you. One thing we've found from a lot of influencers that do post a lot of body-centric content is that it's not necessarily helping them and their own body image. A lot of influencers that post that super um, body-focused stuff are still dealing with deep 
deep body shame. Um, not just because commenters come on and say, you know, you're disgusting, because they get way more validation, you know, way more fire emojis and way more thank you so much, you know. But it turns out that a lot of people that post that stuff start to realize that it's not actually serving them, but then they can't not post it because that's their brand or that's what's getting the most engagement. And we all get addicted to that engagement and the likes and follows that come with it and the power that comes with it that is afforded to women who show their bodies on social media. I get it. But if you are in the business of helping people to stop self-objectifying, of helping liberate girls and women, you might rethink what you post. That's, that's as much as I think we can say. We definitely wrote about this in the book. We definitely are coming at this place from researchers who see that body-centric content leads to self-objectification, even if it's bodies that look different than what we've seen in mainstream media it still often leads to self-objectification. And that happens on an individual level. It's up to every single one of us to curate our own feeds. You know, it's up to us. You look out for number one. If you're following body positive influencers or other influencers or fashion bloggers or whatever, and, and you catch yourself feeling more self-conscious of your body, more defined by your body, you're feeling like you need to post more of that content or you need to fix yourself in some way, you're self-objectifying, you're splitting. Your identity is splitting and we don't want that for you and you don't want that for you. So you look out for number one, if you are posting or viewing things that cause you to self-objectify, come back home. You do that by curating your feed in a different way. You mute or unfollow people that are causing that for you. You, um, maybe you feature yourself less or in different ways. Like maybe your next post is you in action. Like it's you jumping into the water or it's you running or playing with your kids or you know whatever the thing is. Maybe it's more action oriented. Like I love your workout videos on Instagram. <laughs> I love it. It is so fun to see women in action, you know? Um, so that's one thing I would recommend. I think that, you know, choice feminism tells us that whatever a woman chooses is empowering because she chose it. Um, a lot of people abide by choice feminism, but I don't. Because I think we need to be a little bit more um, aware of the fact that none of us are making choices in a vacuum. Mm. Like, just because you're posting something that you claim is empowering doesn't mean it actually is. Because you are choosing to post that body-centric content in a world that is rewarding you for doing that, begging you to do that telling you that's the only way you can have power. I'm telling you that that's the only way you can be desirable and whatever else the thing is. We need to consider all of our choices within reality. And reality gives women very few forms of power, especially in media. Um, some women would say they're reclaiming their power. And they are, you know. Women are afforded power on social media and money and followers and all of those things by posting that body-centric content. And, and I'm I'm glad for women to have more power. What I want is for women to have more power outside of their bodies. You know, that power is fleeting. Those women that are gaining power from their bodies will age out of that power or will grow out of it or will, 
become injured or ill or go through a hard thing and not be able to have that power that they once had. And then it's gone. So does that mean that only women who fit these these ideas, these body-centric ideals who are willing to um, to be defined by their bodies in some way, does that mean they're the only ones that get the power? I mean, this is a big conversation and it will make people mad. I recognize him saying that. Ugh. I think it's so interesting. And I think with the rise of OnlyFans and those kinds of sites where yeah. people are making big money. Totally. From, you know, particularly women making big money from their bodies. But you're right, I think when there's an expiry date on that, that feels, yeah, like is that the lasting power that women need and deserve? Yeah, um, and, and I I'm think not here to shame anybody for what they do in the name of power or beauty. I'm really not. I'm in the business of helping people to stop self-objectifying. Mm. Like that is truly what we're trying to do, to reunite women with their own bodies. And every woman has to decide on her own when self-objectification is creeping in and how she can support herself in reuniting with her body. And our book helps to do that, but it's up to every woman to decide how and when that happens. Definitely. Um, I think it's really interesting having this discussion. Yeah. And I think maybe a lead on from this is also in the sense of the way we compliment people and the way not only we view ourselves through self-objectification, but the way that we interact with maybe this type of imagery we see online, whether mm -hmm. it's people in real life, like, is it wrong to say to a friend, like, wow, you look really beautiful? No. You know, is that like, am I like, oh no, I'm objectifying? <laughs> or is it a case of being able to, you know, maybe that's not the only compliment we give when we try to give a variety of compliments based on yeah. different things? Yeah, I, I love that question. It's one we get a lot. And it's because we've been pretty outspoken about the fact that we need to change up our compliments. Yeah. Um, one thing that is particular to girls and women is that when we see another girl or woman we haven't seen in a minute, we we really focus on the looks. You know, it's a lot of comments about, oh, you look so cute. I love your outfit. I'm so jealous. Or when somebody posts a picture online, even if that picture, if the caption is all about something else, she's saying, I'm having a really hard time, you know, whatever the thing is the comments are always, where did you get your nail polish? Oh my gosh, you look so beautiful. Or at least that eating disorder helped you to lose weight. I wish I had one or whatever the thing is. It is constant. We are constantly reinforcing, hey, I'm looking at you. People are looking at you. You look like this. And so when you're greeting somebody and you're saying, you look so beautiful, that's, that is nice. That is good. We need compliments. But the thing that you might have experienced in your own life that I definitely have is sometimes when I'm greeted with that sort of looks-based compliment, it kind of brings me back to self-objectification really quickly because I start thinking like, oh, did I look really bad the last time they saw me? Like, oh shoot, I need to keep up this routine because I bet they felt bad for me before. Or, you know, you, we, we think of these things, you, you know, it's just, it's a way that we consistently remind each other that we are being looked at. So in my own life, with my own family and my own friends, over the years, we have um, cultivated a practice that we never even said out loud of of not leading with those compliments. It's a little bit harder, um, but I think that in the end, it is much more fulfilling and really serves our friends and family when we can lead with like asking about them, you know, and telling them we're so excited to see them. And sure, it's okay to give a looks-based compliment, but it is so much more meaningful to to go a little bit deeper 
ask them, let them talk. A lot of times we do it out of anxiety. You know, we greet each other with these things because like what else is there to say? Or we want them to feel seen when they're posting a picture. But my favorite compliments are the ones that are a little bit deeper. Like, oh my gosh, you're just glowing. You make me so happy. I love seeing your face. I miss seeing your face. How are you? Thank you so much for posting. You know, like these things kind of help validate people as more than human. I definitely appreciate it. I think when we think about the idea that if someone, you know, compliments you and and they give something that's like in this, you know, in this conversation more than surface level Mm -hmm. and they say, you know, oh, you're so funny or you tell the best jokes or um, I think you're, you know, that was a really clever thing you came up with or like how, or I don't know, you're a brilliant baker or something like that. You know, all of these things are like, they're more than it's like that person's taken the time to get to know you, to get mm-hmm. who you are, rather than just give the surface level easy, you did your hair, like anyone mm-hmm. could have said that, rather than, oh, like, I don't know, you're, um, like, I can't wait to, to speak to you because, yeah. you know, like, you always totally. have the best stories. I think that means more to me, I think, when people are kind of giving me compliments and I always say when I'm talking about my partner I'm always kind of telling him you know he's always like am I really attractive you think I'm hot and I'm like well yeah I kind of do but I take that for granted because that's not the thing I love about you the most like that's a great byproduct but actually I really like you as a person and that's the thing that's most important to me and that's the thing I value the most yeah Um, and you know it's wonderful that you're good looking but that's not you know, that, that's not the main I love that. thing for me. Yeah. And I think that's how I want other people to feel about me too. I want people to be like, okay, well, yes, okay, you look nice here or whatever. I like your makeup or whatever. Yeah. But actually, like, the main thing that keeps bringing me back to you, the main thing that makes me want to be your friend is that you're a warm, kind person who makes yes. me feel good. And that's what I want to be remembered for. And I think it would be nice if we made other people feel that as well. I love that. You're articulating this idea that like that comes when you love somebody that you see them holistically. You mm-hmm. don't see them as a compilation of parts, you know? Like you don't see people you really love the same way you look at somebody that you're comparing yourself to on Instagram. You don't. You see them for who they are. You don't narrow in on ooh, zit, oh, he's gross now, you know? You don't narrow in on, oh, he gained weight. Oh, I'm not attracted anymore. Like, it's much more holistic than that. Your attraction to somebody doesn't come from their parts. Maybe initially, you know, like, of course. And of course, physical attraction is still very important. My husband is super beautiful, you know? (laughs) Like, but he's beautiful for more, for more. Like, he is beautiful because he is the best person I've ever met. Like he is beautiful because he is so selfless and so kind and so funny. And that's how you look at somebody when you love them. And I hope that we can take that holistic idea of how we view the people we love and realize that's how people are looking at us. They don't look at us the way we think they're looking at us, narrowing in on a couple of inches grown or lost you know, or whatever the thing is. People don't do that to us like we think they do. We are the only ones that do that to us. I think there's been a lot of apprehension. And I know the kind of holiday period has passed where people felt like they gained weight during 2020 or they just changed their appearance. Like, I know that for me, I desperately want a haircut. I want my hair dyed. There's things I'm just 
you know, yeah. I wouldn't say I'm on my A game right now in terms yeah. of like just generally like looking after myself and, you know, I feel like, um, but whatever, it, it is what it is. We're all in the same boat. Yes. Um, so I think there was like a bit of apprehension and there was a lot of feeling prior to Christmas and things around, you know, people noticing these differences and people mm-hmm. um, commenting on those things. And I think that's where we get this pressure from in January now, because it's like, right now there's the, so now we have the fear of what other people thought of us. Mm-hmm. And now there's also this expectation and this pressure to change that, to, mm-hmm. to um, you know, get back to our best self. And we have a train happy Facebook group and someone commented in the Facebook group was asking people how they're feeling about January. And someone said like, I really hate that your best self is always meant to be your smaller self. Like totally. I really hate that. So do I, I really mm-hmm. hate that sentiment that this idea that, and as, as you've already said, like my best self is a bigger version of me than people want to be. Yeah. To be. Mm-hmm. And I know that actually that's my, my best self. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How do we kind of navigate this, this time in January with this, with, as the kind of noise is loudest around oh, yeah. changing ourselves and like, how do we stick with it? And, you know, we mentioned about, you know, just challenging ourselves and, um, you know, going against those rules that we have, but do you have any more kind of tips of where to go with this? Yeah. I have been absolutely bombarded on social media with diets just everywhere. It's Noom. It's WW Weight Watchers. It's every single keto thing I could ever even imagine. And I have never looked up a diet. So I have um, done the really fun work of reporting and hiding every one of those ads as being misleading. (laughs) It is so fun. If I never hear another Noom ad again, it will be too early. I just, oh my gosh, so predatory. Someone messaged me today saying, oh, I just read something of yours and the next thing that came up was a diet ad. Like, can you do yep. anything about it? I'm like, no, it's totally out of my control. Yep. But you as the user can ask to not see this again. And that's yep. where you have the, as the consumer, you have the power. Totally. So number one, I mean, it sounds very intuitive, but curate your feed. And if like, I mean, I think Facebook is just a cesspool of extremism and terribleness anyway. So I don't spend a lot of time there. Um, our we have like our beauty redefined page, you know, and so I post stuff there, but it gets way less engagement than Instagram. Um, I, I definitely, once I realize that I'm being bombarded and I report all that crap, then I realize it's not serving me and I log off. So one thing that we find, um, what we ask people to do, one of the strategies in the book is to go on an intermittent media fast. I highlighted this because, oh my goodness, the whole <laughs> bit is so funny. Oh, good. The whole section is so great. Oh, good. Go with it. Intermit- <laughs> intermittent media fast. I and mean, then I think there's some sort of cleanse. I just loved it. Yeah, yeah. It That's all it. So you are being bombarded with intermittent um, fasts, you know, like diets right now. That is such a thing. Um, so we want you to do one better for yourself, way better. And that's an intermittent media fast or an intermittent media cleanse. Um, We encourage you to take, even if it's just a day, every little while and unplug from everything, especially social media, because that's Mm -hmm. where, that's where so many of, you know, 
you realize that once you unplug that we turn to social media as such a habit to deal with anxiety, you know, to deal with boredom, to deal with like trying to not, um, to push off something you're supposed to be doing. Like just fill being with your thoughts as someone who does this, like, I'm not going to pretend like I've got this figured out, Uh huh. but as someone who heavily relies on, who does not want to be with my thoughts. So I distract myself with social media. Yep. Uh Also distract myself with body image stuff, whatever. But like, Uh it's all part of that whole thing of like, oh, it's difficult being with your brain. It is. And think about the consequences of that. Every single one of us are spending the majority of our time thinking other people's thoughts and seeing and reading and listening to other people's messages, many, most of which are profit-driven. They are... They are driven by advertising dollars. They are selling you something. They are selling you an unattainable ideal. And when we can step back, even just for a day occasionally, you very quickly become resensitized. You become more sensitive to the things that cause you to split from yourself, to self-objectify. It is easy to suddenly re-see those things in your feed when you come back and realize, oh, this is not serving me like I thought it was. And then you get the opportunity to curate a different life for yourself. Like you can spend less time on social media because it doesn't actually bring you joy. It actually makes you more anxious, which causes you to keep strolling, scrolling, which causes you to not want to think your own thoughts, which causes you to go body check and look in the mirror and see what's not right and what you need to fix. And, you know, the reason we imagine this future version of ourselves that is always thinner is because that is what we're consuming, Of course, of course you imagine your best you and the future you as better and thinner. But when we can curate our lives and our feeds in ways that serve us better, that means not just unfollowing things you don't like, but adding in a bunch of inspo you do like, you know, the good stuff. It is a game changer. Like it changes everything. And it also helps you to be more mindful when you can't go to those apps like you want to, or you can't turn on the TV like you want to, suddenly you can sit with yourself and think, I need to reconnect with myself. Like I need to breathe. I need to work out. I need to pray or meditate or do yoga. I need to go for a walk or go write in my journal. I need to go talk to a friend or my mom. You need to come back home to yourself. And how does that work for you? What more do you have time to do when you're not just scrolling, when you're not Mm. thinking other people's thoughts all day long? I think for 2021, that's a a big one is, I think, and I was kind of feeling this at the end of last year. And one of the reasons I really don't like going on Twitter very much, like I I always feel very apprehensive before I'm about to go on there because you're going to be bombarded by people virtually shouting at each other. Yeah. Is just deciding, you know, what is my opinion and what is an opinion I've read and differentiating. Mm -hmm differentiating between those two things and that can be about body image that can be about any topic yeah politics whatever and just thinking like am I just being a parrot for other people's thoughts and feelings about things or am I actually thinking about this myself and I think that's something I want to work on this year in terms of you know coming back to myself in so many ways yeah you know we talk about intuitive movement intuitive eating I think the body image work is very much about coming home to your body it's about it's about that connection with yourself, isn't it? It's about mm-hmm. rebuilding that connection in so many ways. And this is why all this work is so overlaps and yeah. and kind of yes. works together. 
So you spoke about health and fitness in the book and you've written a brilliant chapter on it and it's um, it gets really into, you know, we've spoken about in this podcast, like the kind of BMI and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So we love that you covered that. Um, and I just want to take a quote from that that chapter. It says, just like we need to redefine beauty in ways that are better for our health, we need to redefine health in ways that have nothing to do with beauty. Um, so why is this focus on aesthetics and our and our weight in terms of like, you know, weight loss and being smaller and the before and afters that inevitably come with that. Mm -hmm. Why is that harmful to our body image, but also to our overall well-being? Great question. Um, Sorry, I hate when people say great question after every question and I've been doing that, (laughs) but they're good questions. It's okay. (laughs) I feel like that's actually a great compliment to me because sometimes, like I say, people who listen to this podcast regularly, my (laughs) questions can go all over the place. So I'm glad that you're enjoying them. (laughs) Yeah, it's awesome. No, I really like it because it gives me the opportunity to help people see that in the same ways that our bodies have been objectified in a million different ways, we have learned to objectify our health. We objectify our health when we measure it with arbitrary numbers, your body mass index, your weight, your dress size, your measurements. These are outside measures that simply measure your body mass in some way. They actually tell you nothing about your health and fitness. I know that because for the last 10 months, I have been on my treadmill for 45 minutes or so intuitively, at least four days a week. It's been like the best thing in the whole world. I put it on a, a really high incline and I hike. I, I think I told you this back in May when I had just started doing it. It has just absolutely saved me. And I am, I think I'm in some pretty good shape, uh, but I'm, I'm fatter than I've ever been. <laughs> like I say that to be just as blunt as, as physically possible, that I am healthier than I've ever been. And I weigh more than I haven't weighed myself, but I'm sure I weigh more than I have. It's because your health cannot be determined by these arbitrary and objectifying measures. And I know your listeners know this, but it's hard to actually internalize it when every health resolution you have for the new year is measured on the outside. The best way to take back your power and your endorphins that you cannot get by measuring yourself comes from moving your body in whatever ways you can, in whatever ways your ability level will allow when you can set goals that have nothing to do with those arbitrary measures, set goals that you want to walk this certain number of blocks, or you want to take this certain number of dance classes, or lift this number of weights, or or whatever the thing is, your life changes. I know this is so intuitive to your readers or to your listeners and you know all of it, your fans, but it is a game changer for your health. It comes back to the, your body is an instrument to be used, not an ornament to be looked at. The idea that we think that we're exercising just to look a certain way, but when we're realizing that we're exercising to do stuff, to move things, to move our bodies, to move weight, to, um, you know, to move to the rhythm, to, to connect with ourselves. Yeah. That's being in your body. That's what it's all about. And, you know, I really want to drive that home for people wanting to, you know, make strides with fitness in January and feeling like, okay, I've had my rest. I'm ready to go again. Yeah. 
really come at it, like take away that, like you say, that objectification element. There was a study done, and I'm sure you know it better than I do. And like, I just, I'm conscious of time. So I'm just going to say this quickly. There were, um, it was, I'm going to not remember the details of the study, but basically they did two classes. The first class was um, the instructor said to the class, okay, this exercise is going to um, reduce the reduce the jiggle of your thighs and we're going to squat to, um, you know, get a, to, to get like a perkier butt and we're going to do these press-ups to get rid of your bingo wings. Mm-hmm. And they did the exact same workout with the same instructor, but the, the instructor used a, a different script and said, you know, we're going to do these squats to help you feel stronger and so you can jump higher and move faster. We're going to do these press-ups so you can lift more and, you yes. know, carry your shopping up the stairs. And the people who did both classes, everything was the same, just the dialogue was changed, felt so much better about their bodies. You know, when we focused on what I looked like, when the motivation was all about what you look like, yep. then we let the people left feeling more insecure about those things. Like, yep. oh my goodness, I didn't know that I had such jiggly arms. Yep. Versus when they had that reinforced that, oh wow, I can go and do great things with my body. It can, you know, it can be used as an instrument in such amazing ways. Totally. That's where we need to get to. Totally, yes. We write in the book about research that totally backs this up, that if you have an aesthetic goal, you women especially, are much more likely when they don't meet that goal, whether it's weight, you know, or whether it's a six pack abs or a perkier butt or whatever the thing is, you women are much more likely to quit working toward that goal when they don't reach those aesthetic results or the number on the scale, Uh, much more likely. Instead, if you can focus on your goal, just being doing, you know, your goal being your mental health, or coming back into your body as your own, your goal being to get into a flow state every day that helps in every other conceivable way in your life, you will be so much better off. Like in every conceivable way, in every measurable way, including your internal indicators of health that actually indicate your health and fitness, your blood pressure, your blood sugar, your cholesterol, your heart rate, you know, every one of those things will be improved and you will be able to sustain a workout, a a fitness routine. You know, research also shows that when you're self-objectifying during your workout, you can't work out as hard. Like if you are working out in front of a mirror, um, it is likely that you won't be able to lift as heavy of weights. Um, If you are running on a treadmill and there's a mirror next to you, it is likely that you will not be able to run as far or as fast because you have that split identity that causes you to look at yourself and monitor yourself instead of get into a flow state, you're not serving yourself when you're self-objectifying. So do anything in your power when you're moving to not self-objectify. And that means maybe you won't be wearing the leggings and sports bra set that Kate Hudson is trying to sell you, um, which are great, but... She has some really cute stuff. She they're <laughs> so cute. They are so cute. And maybe you can wear that like when you're watching TV. But if you're working out and anybody is around or a mirror is around and it causes you to self-objectify you're not going to get as good of a workout in. Like it just won't serve you as well. The endorphins won't be kicking like they should. So you look out for number one. And that means you're not looking out for people that are looking at you while you're working out, which means you might be wearing a huge t-shirt and some sweats that have holes in them, but it will serve you. <laughs> I love this. I That's new information to me. So I really enjoyed learning that. Yeah. So I want to finish today's discussion by asking you then, what has been your most recent train happy moment? You hinted at it with a treadmill. I don't know if it's going to involve the treadmill, but I'd love to know more. It probably is. I just, 
I have been so privileged to have this treadmill during quarantine. <laughs> this is my ode to that stupid treadmill. But I like my train happy, I guess, in terms of the treadmill. My train happy moment has been that I have sustained this awesome workout regularly, but intuitively in a way that I never would have been able to do years ago when I was working out to lose weight. Um, and to change my body, to lift my butt up or make my thighs smaller, which never actually worked. Um, I have been able to move my body intuitively and truly, truly see the benefits, like the immediate benefits of being able to work out. Like I am so grateful for my body's ability to move. You know, mm. after I had a baby, I was, I think I probably told you, but I was in some pain and it was a hard labor. And for almost five months. I was in a lot of pain. And so now my baby is one and being able to move has been such a gift. Like it's a gift, you know? And when you can move your body, you should, you know, when you can, when you want to, because it is a gift. Your body is an instrument and, and you know, that extends beyond your, your physical fitness. Like when you, when I was in a state of not being able to move and in a lot of pain, um, then I used my body as an instrument by using my voice, by hugging and holding my baby and my husband and my friends and family, you know, by writing. I would get in the bath every night when I was in so much pain from childbirth and the bath was the only thing that helped. And I would write Instagram captions for our posts. And I got my best inspiration. We were on a roll there for a while a few months ago because I was writing in the bath when I had this like time to get into a flow state when my baby wasn't there. Um, so yeah, that's a long winded way of saying that my train happy moment has like, you know, changed my life this year. I really appreciate you sharing that. Okay. Where can everyone get their hands on more than a body? Where can they follow you on social media and find out more about the work of Beauty Redefined? More Than a Body is available everywhere books are sold, including on audiobook. We had to audition for our own book, but we got it. We got the gig and it's really fun. It was great. Um, so we split the book in half and maybe people can tell when we change narrators. Maybe you can't. Um, truly, like you can buy the book anywhere. Um, you can find us on Instagram at beauty underscore redefined, on Facebook at beauty redefined, on Twitter at Take Back Beauty. And our website is morethanabody.org. And we so appreciate everybody's support. I, we cannot thank you enough. It means the absolute world to us. This work is going to change your life. I really want everyone oh. to put it on their reading list for 2021. Thank you so much for joining yeah. me today, Lexi. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. It's been great. You're the best. Oh, thanks. <laughs> And that is it for this week's episode of the Train Happy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you took something away from this episode. And if you did, please let me know by sending feedback. You can find us on Instagram at Train Happy Podcast. Or even better, it would be amazing if you could rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you're listening, as it really, really helps to support and boost the Train Happy message. And remember, if you have had a recent moment where this stuff has just started clicking for you, then share your story with us via email, trainhappypodcast at gmail.com to become the train happy trooper of the week. And if you have a burning question you would like me to answer, then please send those in too. And it may be answered in our bonus Q&A episodes. Once again, thank you for listening and I will speak to you soon.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 